This is Exploring Intersections, Catholic Sisters on Racism, Migration, and Climate. I'm your host, Cherish Badzinski. Welcome. Today and each month, we bring you conversations that explore the intersections of a major social issue of our day with racism, migration, and climate. This podcast is a recording of a live webinar. Here's our program. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Exploring Intersections. This program is made possible through the Leadership Conference of Women Religious, Region 10. Over the coming months, we're talking with expert panelists about some of the biggest social issues of our time. If you have missed our past programs, we encourage you to view them on YouTube or download a podcast version. Today, our panel conversation centers on ending human trafficking. Human trafficking, as far-reaching and insidious as a global pandemic, knows no boundaries, whether by online home invasions, manipulation by family, or physical coercion stressed as dreams. It's easy to think it's an issue that exists elsewhere, in the dark alleys of developing nations. But in truth, the problem is here and everywhere. There are an estimated 40 million victims of labor and sex trafficking around the world. The United Way reports that human trafficking is happening not just in other countries, but in all 50 of the United States. Victims who span all genders and age groups may be forced into marriage, child labor, domestic servitude, exploitation, and even migrant farming and factory work. How do we recognize human trafficking in our own cities? How can we effectively join the fight against it? And how does human trafficking intersect with racism, migration, and climate? To help us better understand today's topic, we are joined by three panelists. Sister Anne Astrike is a member of the Sisters, Servants of the Immaculate Heart of Mary of Monroe, Michigan. She has served in education, communications, and social justice ministries. She now works with A Nun's Life Ministry as a podcast consultant and content developer. Sister Anne is board president of U.S. Catholic Sisters Against Human Trafficking. Welcome, Sister Anne. Thank you. It's nice to be with you. Angela Oftenberg is president and CEO of Vista Maria, the oldest, longest standing nonprofit serving vulnerable children and families in Michigan. One of the most significant expansions of the organization is the addition of trauma-informed emergency stabilization and reintegration programming for adolescent survivors of human trafficking. As an advocate for children, Angela regularly provides briefings on sexual exploitation, aging out of the system, and other barriers youth face. She also offers insights on the needs to improve legislation to disrupt patterns of sexual exploitation. Welcome, Angela. Thank you, it's good to be here. And a former client of Vista Maria, Bailey is now a 22-year-old advocate for young people 
Bailey was one of the first young women in Vista Maria's WINGS program, which helps human trafficking survivors. She then moved to Vista Maria's Shepherd Hall Transitional Living Program. Bailey is a full-time welder who lives independently. She credits Vista Maria with helping her by providing never-ending support. And I believe Bailey will be joining us shortly. So let's start with you, Angela, as president and CEO of Vista Maria. You've heard so many stories like these. Uh, welcome, Bailey, by the way. You've heard so many stories like these of young people who've survived human trafficking. How do organizations like Vista Maria help these young people? And why is long-term support so essential? So the first thing that we experience is that um, young people who are trafficked, um, sometimes are trafficked by family members, sometimes it's by um, individuals that they meet and there are attachment disorders, the mental health and behavior stabilization that is required to help them and wrap around them to process what has happened to them. Um, it needs to be comprehensive. And the first steps are about creating a safe environment, a non-judgmental environment, and also an environment that is continuously welcoming because there are going to be uh, missteps. There's going to be um, sometimes they want to, to uh, run away and welcoming them back in a non-judgmental way is how we create the, the pathways, right, for healing that is restorative and lasting. Um, the long-term support is essential because we also now have, you know, interrupted the, the, the the youth development, the sexual development of a young person, and you have to recreate right some uh, patterns of normalcy and then get that young person to patterns of self-support, um, new ways to um, earn a living and support themselves because it's all been disrupted. Um, the education's been disrupted, the sexual development's been disrupted. So that's why this long-term support is essential. Such a massive undertaking too. Sister Anne, you've described human trafficking as a problem that exists because of an interconnected web of social injustices. Tell us more about those injustices that feed into this problem. And likewise, how do racism, migration, and climate change intersect with the issue of human trafficking as well? Each of the issues you mentioned, Cherish, um, are drivers of human trafficking because they all increase the vulnerability of people. For example, let's just take a look at forced migration. Um, people who are migrating are fleeing. They're not traveling. They're fleeing be because they may have very little access to food, water, clothing, income. They may be fleeing violence, conflict, um, the results of natural disasters, effects of climate change, fires, floods. They may have livelihoods that have been destroyed or can no longer provide for their basic needs. And they don't see a way they can continue to live where they are and provide for basic human needs. So they're looking for decent jobs to sustain their lives and provide the basics of life for themselves and their families. These people are vulnerable to a trafficker who might be promising passage to the US or to Europe, to a safe place, 
promising a job, offering education for your children. So forced migration is a big driver of human trafficking. And we've heard about that, especially at the Southern border in our country. And then systemic racism also, um, this is based on the false assumption of white superiority. And that false assumption has been codified into practice and norms and culture and law that allows white people benefits and privileges that are not available to black, indigenous and people of color. Uh, so that increases their vulnerability as well. And then again, I think we've talked a little bit about climate change because that's often uh, a driver of migration. So they're all very, very closely connected. And let me just add that um, people are dealing with a global economic system that values profit over people and production over labor and a system that concentrates wealth at the top that in fact does not trickle down to those who are at the, the lower rungs of the economic ladder. So all of these factors combine to make people more vulnerable to the approach of a trafficker. And if you're a female, <laughs> you are more valuable. I mean, you are more vulnerable still, still. And Angela, anything to add to that about the social injustices that are root causes of this issue? As uh, you know, Sister Ann was chatting a little bit about that, um, that, that we know, in the, especially in the United States, the buyers, the, the, the buyers of sex, right, that, that um, are perpetuating the trafficking of children are typically Caucasian males. And, and um, our patterns that we've seen is we see about a good portion of Caucasian females as well as um, uh, young persons of color being exploited. We see a lot of exploitation of a diverse people with diverse soji, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity and expression being trafficked. So these, these insecurities are preyed upon and they tend to come from all of those areas on the graphic that Sister Anne showed. And it's just um, a, a never ending cycle, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, we're also joined by Bailey, who uh, is, is so brave to be here today as a survivor of human trafficking. Um, for many of us, the issues that victims of human trafficking face are simply unimaginable. But as a survivor, Bailey, we know these are a part of your life story. Can you share with us first how you initially got involved in human trafficking? Yeah. Um, I, it all started when I was a baby. Both my parents were drug addicts. Um, they would, my mom's boyfriend would sell me for drug money and drugs. But everything after that was fine. And my grandparents uh, got me when I was about a year old. I went to live with them. But it like changed something in me. There's always something missing after that in my life. So I was always looking for more. And then I myself got onto like social media apps when I was 14 and started trafficking myself and didn't even know that that's what I was doing from the start of it. And until I got to Vista, that's basically what I did. And then Vista taught me how to not traffic, how to live healthy. 
Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. I know it's difficult and uh, I want you to know it, all of us watching today are, are so appreciative of your willingness to be here. Did during the, the time when you started to become um, involved in human trafficking, how did others help you and how did you eventually get connected to Vista Maria? Well, I went to like little hospitals and placement centers for a while. They were all just short term and didn't really do much. I went to about 13 of those before I came to Vista. No human trafficking was except for them. So once I, the very last time I ran away, my grandparents had revoked their rights and the so state got me and they were the ones who put me in Vista and they were like, this girl is human trafficking. So they sent me there. So I got to Vista. Great. And we all know that it's a myth that human trafficking is solely young women being trafficked for sexual exploitation. Although that clearly is a component of it. What are some of the other myths of human trafficking? Uh, Sister Anne? Uh, well, one of the myths is that trafficking always involves sex. There are so many ways that trafficking presents itself. It can be labor. It can be begging. It can be forced marriage, organ trafficking, and in many countries, uh, child soldiers. So it's not always sex. Mm -hmm. And Angela, anything to add to that? I think that people uh, perceive, you know, like in the movies, that it is a kidnapping of a young person or a female. And uh, that is rarely the case anymore, especially in the United States. It is all over the internet and it's very subtle. Uh, traffickers are part of organized crime and there are, it's big industry. There are a large networks that cross multiple states where drugs and humans are trafficked for all sorts of um, different um, uh, reasons. This map here is already a few years old and it comes from the Flowers Project, but the heat map right where the red is, these are the areas where the, are the highest reported cases. Um, you can barely see Southeast Michigan, most of the East Coast, Florida, and, and we have human trafficking reported cases that are all in all 50 states. I have had people say to me, oh, well, you know, not in my neighborhood, everybody's safe. And it is, it is not the case. Um, in Michigan, we have seen from the most affluent communities, um, trafficking cases, as well as the most impoverished. So that is a myth. And um, uh, the one other myth is that um, as soon as you take or rescue a young person or a female out of trafficking, she's automatically, or that person is automatically healed. And that is not the case. The, um, the, the abuse, physical, mental, and that disconnectedness of the survivor, trauma survivor, is um, extensive and um, the needs are great, more than just um, housing and food, but there are significant, significant uh, mental health and physical health needs. Mm -hmm. And I think another, I think another uh, myth that we need to remember is that traffickers, people believe traffickers target victims they don't know. 
very often they target victims that they do know and do know well. Yeah. It may be romantic partners or family members, um, friends, fellow students. Uh, oh, oh, very often. Had, yeah, I'm sorry, and, Sister Ann. Yeah, go ahead. We had, a, 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 we had a, a older sister. We've had um, uh, family members. And that the trafficker is always a male, right? That is not true. There are many traffickers who are female or traffickers use females to entice others. Um, we even had an older couple um, in their 70s, Caucasian older couple, grand, you know, look like a grandma and a grandparent kind of type that, um, you know, enticed young people into a sex trade and labor trade network. Mm -hmm. Wow. Bailey, any thoughts on some of the myths that you've come across? Yeah, one myth that applies to me is it's not always forced. Some young people or people in general just don't know what they're doing is really all that bad. And we, the society we're kind of in now, it's like, oh, you can do anything you want. It's okay. Sex and drugs are fine. Go ahead and do it. But it's, so they're kind of coming up with like something that it's fine to do these things, but it's not healthy for you. And that's what people need to know. Mm -hmm. These days, there's also a lot of disinformation about human trafficking out there, as with many of the topics that we're talking about this year. Sister Anne, what are the consequences that we're seeing as a result of that? I think the consequences are uh, sometimes particular to the, to the conspiracy or to the disinformation. For example, um, I know that we hear a lot about QAnon, okay? And the uh, taking over of the hashtag save the children or save our children that started to happen last summer. And the idea is that there, there are these online complex schemes involving child sex trafficking. And if you look for the truth, you won't find it. There's, there's, these are never based in any foundation of truth. Um, but what, what they do is they assign blame or they, they have another agenda, but sex trafficking and especially the, the trafficking of children, most people are, find that abhorrent and want to help, you know, want, want to respond. But there is never an avenue with a conspiracy theory in a way that you can help the trafficked victims. Uh, another thing that is a big consequence is if you remember last year, we also had a conspiracy theory about children being trafficked and shipped in large furniture by Wayfair. Mm -hmm. uh, no truth to that. But what happened is so many people were very, very concerned about that, that they actually did call the National Human Trafficking Hotline and Text Line. There are probably 10 to 12 people who are answering that hotline 24-7-365. And when hundreds and thousands of people are making those calls, they basically shut the hotline down and people who had actual instances of trafficking to report could not get through. So that was a, that was a big consequence. And then just a third one, I think everybody has probably read about Pizzagate. Uh, that was back in 2016. Uh, the rumor was that Hillary Clinton and other political operatives were running a human trafficking ring out of the basement of a Washington, D.C. pizzeria. 
And actually, there's no evidence to prove that that was true. The restaurant in question didn't have a basement. <laughs> but um, there was a violent incident there in which a man uh, who believed the stories showed up at the restaurant heavily armed. And he was arrested. And he is serving time now and has since apologized because he was acting on false information. Yeah. So, yeah. It's so concerning this type of social engineering and the disinformation and how it spreads so quickly as well. I know all of our viewers and listeners really do want to help. So let's start with um, talking about what the signs of human trafficking are that we can watch for. Angela, let's start with you. Sure. Um, one of the things that you can look for is can this person move about freely or they always seem to be looking or in close proximity to an older male or older female. Uh, we also see specially marked tattoos um, that would indicate sometimes property of somebody else that, that are in unusual places too. Like I wouldn't get all excited because a child has a tattoo, but um, but they're in they're in special places, you know, and tend to be a little bit hidden. Um, bruises other signs of physical abuse um they they will make little eye contact they have no identification sometimes they don't even know where they are we find that young people who are trafficked are, are not typically trafficked in their home community so that they cannot find their way home um and this idea of this they appear to be willingly in this relationship um those are kind of some signs that um uh, you know, a young person could be being trafficked or and, large sums of money. I'm sorry. But in large, you know, sometimes they have money on them. It's not their money, but they have money on them too. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Bailey, any thoughts on signs that people who want to help should be watching for? Some signs are like, if you go somewhere like a hotel or anywhere and you see like a young person with the by themselves with an older guy and it just looks weird or if you just have like a bad feeling about any kind of people you see that, that, that kind of situation you should just report it great and sister Anne, any thoughts to add yeah let me pick up um on, on what bailey said that's really important um there are a lot of signs if you're in a in a hotel or um, hospitality mm -hmm. setting to look for if um if people check in, these are especially for employees of hotels. If people check in, you don't see them come down for the breakfast. They don't request housekeeping. Um, you, mm -hmm. That there's traffic in and out of the room. You know, people are coming and going, but uh, you don't see them. That's that's a red flag. And I think in in other situations too, there are many red flags. So sometimes situationally, you have to look for signs. If you're in healthcare, there are signs. Uh, when I think, and Angela probably know better th about this, but about 80% of, of people who are trafficked come into uh, some kind of relationship with the healthcare system. Yeah. They they show up there at some point during their their trafficking experience. Um, nail salons, uh, hair salons, in your neighborhood, if one of your neighbors has someone working for them, but you never see that person. You never hear from them. That's suspicious. That 
that requires a, a call to the human trafficking hotline so they can check that out. And we will share the telephone numbers for the human trafficking hotline later on in the program. Be ready to write those down or better yet, put them directly into your cell phone. Uh, that'll be near as we wrap up the program. Uh, Bailey, let's go to you now. What signs would have tipped others off to your particular situation? And did people try to help? People I met always tried to help, always tried to say like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that and things like that. But I think if they really had more information on what actually human trafficking was, that would have helped a lot because I would have been able to get more help than I had a lot sooner. Yeah, great. And I know you do so much important work as an advocate for others. How does your, your experience with human trafficking as a survivor help you help others? My experience helps because I really know what other people are feeling like. And it's not something that a lot of like workers know about. Um, I, I know how what they're going through and it's hard. And a lot of people are scared to open up to people who they don't know and things. But if somebody has been in your shoes and they know where you've been through, it's a lot easier. Yeah, I bet it makes all the difference in the world. Cherish, could I just add too, because I've seen um, Bailey uh, interact with some um, other young people and, uh, you know, they they look up to her, they, right? Uh, you know, they want it, they go, what, well, really? Like, you know about like something that I experienced? And Bailey will say, you know, yes, and and you can you can you know you can finish high school, you can you can get a job, you can be anything you want to be. So it's a very you know that it not only is it the listening part, but it is also the inspiration that she gives, and um, and she's even she's modest. She's even been to D.C. to talk um, to um, our 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 Congress about things that they could do to improve the laws uh, relative to for survivor services. Mm. And I'm so glad that you brought that up too, Angela. So how can we ensure the development of public policy that's effective at ending human trafficking? Bailey, let's start with you because I know you have some thoughts on this. Um, I think I would be better with Ms. Angela answering that question with me. Okay, Angela. So um, one of the uh, models, you know, um, that we we're a proponent of is called the equality model, and the equality model provides a framework that number one um, has a series, a framework of laws that um, improve awareness as well as training for professionals who may come in contact that Sister Ann was talking about, uh, healthcare or nail or um, dental officers or optometrists, right? Individuals who may come in contact with someone who has been trafficked in what to do. It also, um, it also has a framework of demand reduction uh, strategies and laws, because if we do not cut back on demand and, in, and increase the penalties and the and the the services of reducing the buying of of sex or you know services and labor, right? Cheap prices, you know, for things. 
um, we just perpetuate, right? We're feeding the monster. Um, that's important. And then last but not least is we cannot just safe harbor survivors without treatment. And, and because uh, prostitution is, because that's the category for sex trafficking, because prostitution is a state law and not federal, we have not made as great of inroads as we have with some uh, prominent labor trafficking cases because that comes under um, some other, it comes under a different category, the RICO um, language. And so federal prosecutions for labor trafficking tend to be um, much more prominent and, and expansive than uh, sex trafficking in the United States. But that, that's a nice framework that people could research and look into. This idea of legalizing prostitution as a means of empowering women is, I'm just gonna be, it's rubbish. There is no empowerment. When one person is paying for something, they have power and control over another person. There, there isn't anything empowering about that. I wanna second that. Uh, <laughs> I, wanna, I wanna absolutely affirm that. Um, our organization has just recently adopted and are supporting actively the equality model. And we have, in our research, found that approximately, I think the number is 84% of women who are engaged in prostitution are not willing <laughs> participants in, in this endeavor. They are trafficked and they would want to get out. So I think in terms of laws, we have to look at them. First of all, I think with people like Bailey, other exited survivors can inform us on what are the services that are really needed. And then in terms of the laws that we already have, they have to be enforced because enforcement is lax on a lot of these laws, especially some that are meant to protect children. And finally, we've got to flip the equation on human trafficking because right now, it is a low-risk, high-profit business, and we have got to make it a high-risk, low-profit business for us to get some traction here on ending this crime, and it is a crime. One of the concerns I know that comes up when we talk about developing legislation related to this is that the the bulk of the pressure from the law perspective often falls on the women. Uh, can anybody address that issue? How can that be shifted so that uh, perpetrators of human trafficking are equally as, uh, as um, put under the microscope, essentially? Yes, so that point about the demand reduction uh, framework uh, for example, in many states, uh, you have a higher penalty, uh, whether it's jail time or a fine, for driving under the influence of alcohol than buying a person. And we, we're right, as we as we think about now. Now, when you look across the United States, Boston has one particular strategy that's been effective for them. Chicago uses information technology. Um, to um, interact with buyers of sex and, and um, intersect into that conversation and purchase. Seattle is very progressive and they are actually treating uh, demand reduction with training and treatment for buyers because their approach is there's something, uh, there's a mental health issue there 
right? If you're, if, if that's your um, engagement for uh, sex, then something's not quite right. So um, wh what we have to do is we have to, um, unfortunately, state by state has to find their purpose and plan. And that's when we get to the call to action, I, I will talk more about that. Um, and we do need to shift the framework because it shouldn't be always on the woman, right? To, to be defending herself and say, I was trafficked, right? We need to change the lens of, of, of prostitution in states to you know individuals are, are being trafficked and, and have a presumptive, right? Presume trafficking, don't presume prostitution. Great. Bailey, your story gives hope to so many people. You are a success in our eyes, and we're so grateful that you've shared your story with us. Tell us what your life looks like now. Now I'm an iron worker. I'm working 40 hours a week, and I have my own house. I just bought that a few months ago, so that's really exciting. Um, it's a pretty good life. I know what I need to do now, and it's fun. Congratulations. I think it's so amazing that you're a welder, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Uh, we have some audience questions, so we're going to move into those right now. Uh, one Our first audience question is, if I see a young person with an older person, should I intervene physically? Certainly, there must be dangers associated with that. <laughs> No, no, don't intervene. <laughs> Go, Sister Anne. <laughs> so, um, if you if you think you're viewing an active act of human trafficking, don't intervene. Call nine one one and call the national hotline or text them. Um, you put yourself in danger, and you put the young person or the woman or the the boy or man the person who you, you suspect is being trafficked, you put them in a greater danger by intervening. Yeah, good advice. Yeah. I have another audience question. A college classmate of mine has an OnlyFans, that's an, an account, an online streaming service, and they sell explicit images of themselves to people for money. And she seems like she does it willingly and happily, but it breaks my heart. Is there anything I can do for her? Any thoughts on that? Um, so from my perspective, um, the, how do I explain? The, the, that person, right, is, um, is not understanding, right? There is, there is a disconnection between the act and my value of myself and, and, um, and my um, inner beauty, right? All right, and and that uh, that is a de degrading effort, right? Um, for means there's something for her that is um, I have value because I get money for that, right? But that is a mental health um, issue. Um, getting her to understand about exploitation and any way that you can get her that kind of information would be helpful. Uh, young people like Bailey, they don't even understand um, that the what the signs of human trafficking are, and they all participate in a program called My Life, My Choice. You could um, take a look up that online and get her into some of the maybe some of these um, online groups, which are much easier at this point to participate in, so she can hear 
from other people in those experiences and maybe find a pathway to exit um, uh, that, that kind of, because um, um, there tends to be a compulsion, right, um, there. That's not just the financial that's feeding something else, unfortunately. Right, and I think there's such a huge gray area these days too when uh, people go online and seek validation and uh, can easily move into a space that it all of a sudden gets very seedy very fast. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a good resource. Right, and, that, and it's exploitation, right? It is, it is exploitation. Yeah. Uh, another audience question, who are good partners such as companies, government agencies and social agencies to seek out in our communities to connect with? Good partner would be the um, state attorney general office. They, each state has an office and that's the place on the state level that works with human trafficking. They have a lot of resources uh, that are available. Uh, also the federal government does. Uh, the Department of State has an ambassador at large for human trafficking. They do a global, I mean, a, a global tip report, trafficking in persons report. Just came out the 1st of July. Uh, so you can see what the patterns are not only in our own country, but throughout the world. I think also through the tip report, you can, you can see some of the intersections of migration and human trafficking in a special way. Uh, but there are many groups, I'll cite my own, uh, US Catholic Sisters Against Human Trafficking. We try to educate, advocate, and provide access to survivor services. There are also wonderful groups like ECPAT, Ending Child Prostitution and Trafficking, that works with the hospitality industry and many others to educate them to recognize and report signs of human trafficking. And the list goes on and on and on. Um, I'm sure Angela has a, a much longer list as well. I think I would just add a Polaris project and you can go in and search by your state. You can find out about um, the information relative to calls from your state as well as providers and what those providers do. But I go where Sister Ann goes and I go to the Attorney General website for the state. Um, that is a wonderful place for all, all levels, adult, minor, um, shelters, you know, uh, 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 job training programs, all of that, education. I have another audience question, and I'm not sure that I understand it, but I'm going to read it in case you do. Mm -hmm. Can you talk more about the Boston strategy that works for them? Oh. And can you provide more information about equality? Sure. Uh, so this, the, what they're talking about is, um, uh, I was fortunate enough, uh, we didn't even talk about this. I was on a fellowship leave um, that was gave me 16 weeks to go and study uh, what different states were doing to um, upend or impact ending uh, human trafficking in, the, in their states. And I visited Boston, Chicago, and, um, and uh, places in Florida, interviews, et cetera. Anyway, in Boston, their approach was a partnership between uh, law enforcement as well as um, the providers of services 
And in Boston, their approach was to increase the penalties for the purchase, right? So uh, uh, much higher. So it could be like the first instance could be a fee of $5,000, right? Which um, then, you know, compelled, right? So it was a little more painful. And, and then they would um, also marry that and provide that money. A third would go to law enforcement, but two thirds would go to service providers to provide services for um, victims of trafficking. And then um, they also created um, a network, a collaborative network of, of providers that also then made those referrals of buyers, you know, into the schools. Um, the more, and, and then um, Chicago uses, when they go on to actually, they have a sophisticated robot computer that goes onto the internet and they actually create ads. And when a, a buyer clicks on it, they actually flash up the law and tell them that it's illegal and they interrupt the transactions and it's very sophisticated. So uh, different states, like I said, have different approaches. Mm. Another audience question, is there legislation now in Congress concerning human trafficking? So we have to remember, there are, there are laws all the time that we, um, you know, when Bailey and I were there um, in 2019, we didn't get to go anywhere in 2020, but, um, you know, there's always laws. Some of them were about establishing the rights for um, individuals who are trafficked that are on um, uh, Native American territories, right? And because that's a different set of laws, you know, we, we were very vocal about that. So there, there are laws, right, that are national, but prostitution itself, right, is a state um, um, legislated um, area. So it is the fabric, right? Does have we do have national laws, both labor and uh, and uh, sex trafficking, and but then it is a criminal penalty at the state level. So it, it, it's a it's not as simple as I would like it to be. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> and, uh, and I think there there are more and more states where the issue of legalizing prostitution is coming up, and I think. The people at the state level have to be very vocal about uh, stopping that movement and uh, advocating because to say that that is a way to end human trafficking or to lessen the occurrence of trafficking is completely false. It is false. Completely false. So, and it is, it is happening in New York, Rhode Island, Connecticut. Um, they were successful in, in abandoning the effort in Washington, D.C., um, um, it's happening, I think, also in Florida and definitely in California. And even even lower, even even more on the local level, that happens. It's happening in New York City. I know that that's an issue there. So it, it can be on the city and town level, too. Yeah. So you really have to watch it at every level of government. Are foster children more likely to become victims of human trafficking? And if so, why? Yes, um, so I'll take that one. Uh, there are estimates, there are studies. In one study, it was as high as 80% of the children who were trafficked had had former experience in the foster care system. Some bring it as low into the 50s, but that is still uh, huge, right? Even 50% is horrible. Uh, part of that is because um, traffickers prey on vulnerabilities and 
that vulner and those individuals who prey on those vulnerabilities, as Sister Ann said, sometimes um, we have had mothers and fathers traffic their children. We have had older siblings. We have had, um, you know, moms, uh, you know, um, um, boyfriend traffic. So a good 50 to 60% of the children that are trafficked know, you know, they're in a, a familial type relationship with their trafficker. Um, and then uh, when they get become uh, 13, 14, 15, right, and, and, and have other interactions with others, they can be prey to the, the advances of, you know, this romantic, you know, a Romeo pimp kind of an idea. I'm going to take you away somewhere. Um, and so the vulnerabilities that young people that are, have experienced the foster care system um, are preyed upon by traffickers. It's heartbreaking. Uh, here's another audience question. How does the media impact our perception of sex trafficking? Any thoughts on that? <laughs> well, um, let me just say, if, whenever we talk to people about human trafficking, we say, where did you first hear about this? Uh, there's always somebody in every group who's going to raise their hand and say, I watched the movie Taken. Mm -hmm. <laughs> taken one, taken two, taken three. Um, Liam Neeson is not going to come and rescue you. If, you. if that is not that is not a real situation of human trafficking, I think I think those were made earlier. But I think the media is starting to understand a little bit better the complexities of human trafficking. We get more accurate reporting now. We we get more information about educational opportunities so people can learn about it. We hear more from, from survivors and thrivers like Bailey. The media are, are smart enough to go to those sources, those women and men and boys who are, who are willing to talk to them and share their experience and dispel the myth, you know, about human trafficking. And we do hear about some uh, law enforcement. We do hear about some convictions. So we're getting, we're getting better. We still have a ways to go. We need a lot more education on human trafficking. But please, if, if your information is basically from a movie like Taken, um, contact, contact Angela or I. We've got other sources for you. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Anything yeah. to add, Angela or Bailey? Bailey, do you have anything to? Um, yeah, I think the media is is doing a lot for human trafficking, but I feel like it it's also making it a lot more relaxed and easier for people to human traffic, and that's something we need to look out for too. Mm -hmm. So. Availability of websites and the ease with which people can connect, uh, you yep. know, if you lump that into media, that is a concern. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or those lack of protections yeah. for um, children uh, and, and or the, those communications, right? That is a big, big concern. That FOSTA um, legislation was really quite needed. Um, uh, and 
I also think that sometimes the media only wants to talk to us when they can sensationalize, you know, and, and bring out gory details. And, and, and that's when I think it's gone too far, right? They want it for ratings versus the what Sister Anne, because there are some very good media outlets that want to share the information and, um, and raise awareness. But when it's, when it's to kind of, you know, sensationalize it, I'm, um, it's not, it's not appropriate. Yeah, that's a good guideline. Uh, thank you, first of all, to everyone in our audience who submitted questions for our panelists. Uh, we really appreciate that. And we welcome you to continue the conversation on our Facebook page. As we've said, this is a nuanced conversation. There are so many aspects of this that we could discuss and we encourage you to continue those conversations. So with a better understanding of the role that social injustices play in the human, the human trafficking issue, as well as the myths and the signs that someone is being trafficked, let's talk about next steps. Each of our panelists have provided suggested action items to help us as we move toward ending human trafficking. Bailey, let's start with you. Tell us about your action item. My action item would be to just talk to your kids, make sure that you know what they're doing on their phones, make sure that they know what they're supposed to be doing and isn't doing that. And just make sure that they're not talking anywhere they shouldn't be. Yeah, it's a really important tip. And I think a lot of parents try to respect the privacy of their children, but I appreciate as a survivor, the input that it's just so important to be aware of what your kids are doing online today. So thank mm -hmm. you. Angela, tell us about your action item. Yeah, so I, I, um, I wanna repeat Bailey's just because I, um, I talk about this often. Um, kids, uh, and I talk to teens a lot about ranting about parents and it can be everything from Facebook to, to other very common Snapchat and others. Um, uh, just, uh, you know, parents be aware, guide your children, good use, um, and um, look for hidden apps, um, because sometimes that is, um, uh, traffickers try to groom and then get the kids used to, um, I want to be real quick about this, uh, but they introduce, traffickers can introduce young people to pornography, which desensitizes them. And that is another thing that is happening over the internet to kind of, you know, attract and, and groom children. So um, that is another sign, uh, an issue that needs to be uh, attended to. For individuals, you can find local uh, agencies that are serving survivors of trafficking and you can become mentors. Um, you can even send just notes of encouragement uh, to individuals who are in treatment and survivor programs. And you can um, even help support those agencies financially because for many programs, the adult services are not uh, funded, they have to fundraise for those. And, and one other thing that Sister Ann talked about is you should look for areas where um, locally, maybe there are movements to uh, legalize prostitution or decriminalize or decommission law enforcement. And those would be signs that you could um, take up in your local community. And Angela, I know that this is particularly important because 
the people who are doing the important work on the inside are limited in number. So uh, it's important for all of us to take a role in this and, and realize that it's a shared social responsibility as well. Sister Anne, tell us about your action item. Well, I'm making the assumption that our everyone who's listening in are lifelong learners and people of prayer. So I'm going to invite them to two actions. Uh, if you are not already on the mailing list for the Stop Trafficking newsletter, please uh, go to our website. It's on the homepage. This newsletter is excellent. It has been published for the last 19 years, every month. And every month we take a different uh, aspect of the problem of human trafficking. The newsletter lays out that that particular iteration of human trafficking. And there are action items that you can take every month on that. For example, uh, our current issue is on domestic servitude. Uh, we've had one on persons with disabilities in human trafficking, forced marriage, child brides, uh, the nexus between human trafficking, climate change and environmental destruction, and our own buying power and labor trafficking. So that's available in English and Spanish on our website. And please, I know uh, Region 10 and other, other people from other regions, uh, don't ever discount the power of prayer. Prayer is an action. And uh, we know that prayer changes hearts, first our own, and then we hope also the hearts of others for whom we pray. So please pray for those who are trafficked Please pray for the exited survivors because it's a long road back from human trafficking. Pray for those who work with, with victims and survivors of human trafficking like Angela, support places like Vista Maria. Join us in our advocacy and educational efforts at U.S. Sisters Against Human Trafficking. Make There's something you can do every day just to keep this in your mind and in your heart. Don't forget the faces of the people who you know who have been part of human trafficking. And with that, we want to share the National Human Trafficking Hotline number. Write this down, put it into your telephone today. Uh, and this is more information about how you can help as well. If you are a victim of human trafficking, or if someone you know is a victim, call the National Human Trafficking Hotline. That number is 1-888-373-7888, or you can text 233-733. Thank you to all of our panelists for sharing your stories, your insights, and the vitally important work that you're doing to end human trafficking. And a special thank you to Bailey for sharing uh, your story. I know it was difficult and we are just, we're all cheering for you. Thanks everyone. And a special thank you also to the massive team of professionals working behind the scenes to bring this program to life every month. Next month on Exploring Intersections, Catholic Sisters on Racism, Migration and Climate, Eliminating Gun Violence. There are an estimated 265 million privately owned guns in our country. The American Journal of Medicine reports that Americans are 25 times more likely to die from gun homicide 
than those who live in other wealthy countries. Rarely does a week go by without another mass shooting, another hashtag, another household or school or city in mourning. Is eliminating gun violence possible? And if so, how? That's August 11th at 3 p.m. Central Time. Thank you for tuning in. This event is made possible through the Leadership Conference of Women Religious, Region 10. Visit our website, exploringintersections.org, to find resources mentioned in today's conversation, as well as how to register for the next live session, held every second Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central. I'm Cherish Badzinski, and thanks for listening to Exploring Intersections.